0: Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program as we bring you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Uh, As I've often said, too, uh, we're looking for those new ways of living because the old ways don't work. And all you have to do is look around you. And we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., And we've been blessed with five days a week from 8 to 9 a.m. So I hope that you will join us Monday through Friday. We stream live at all nine of those broadcast times at richarddugan.com. And we also podcast all of these programs on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations. Way too numerous to mention, as well as on YouTube, Where you can watch these conversations and I hope you'll subscribe and also click notify or notification so that when a new conversation is posted, you will know and you'll be able to go and tune into that particular conversation and learn more about what's going on in this world from people who are actually trying to change the world for the better for all of us, not just a select few. We also ask that if you can support the work that we are doing financially, we would be gratefully appreciative. We have a PayPal account. It is therefore your security as well as ours. And when you go there to uh, submit that um, contribution, uh, uh, it'll ask for an email address. My email address is richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. And then we ask that you spend some time during this, the decade of perfect vision, going within To that quiet, still calm, peaceful place. And listen to that still small voice. You wonder why I call it the decade of perfect vision? It's because that is the only place where, regardless of your physical, visual acuity, you will get perfect insight for you. For your life. Uh, I don't use my intuition, my still small voice, my friend, to say to anybody god told me to tell you because i have access to the divine and the only reason i would ever go to someone else would be more along the lines of if i felt like i wasn't trusting the universe in that moment i would maybe have someone give them permission and say could you confirm or deny this or could you give me some insights from your perspective as someone who is also connected with the divine so that's why we ask you to uh, to do that because It's perfect. And with that, we uh, move on to our uh, interview portion with our very special guest, who is exploring the mystic heart of yoga. Her latest book is Into the Heart of the Infinite, a spiritual memoir of an extraordinary extraordinary. Mystical journey. And we are so thankful for uh, having uh, our special guest here on the program, Maitre Ema. I want to thank you so much for being with us here on Tell Me Your Story. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you, Richard. I guess first things first, we'll talk about uh, your book. And you say it's a memoir. Usually a memoir is about that person's life. Where does your memoir start? And obviously, it ends at some point as well, because, well, geez, you're still with us. Thank you. I'm so glad. Uh, but uh, where does where does it pick up in terms of uh, the human chronological
1: timeline? Well, this memoir is really focused on my spiritual journey and, and the mystical element of my life. And it goes back into my childhood and how all that started and evolves it through my life um, until you know fairly recent years and uh, so it has a chronology through my life it's 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 uh, it's not just a short period because it's the evolution of spiritual transformation in life
0: and what was your first shall we say uh, spiritual experience my mother asked me once if i'd ever had any supernatural experiences or something along those lines and i said well if i have i didn't notice that they were extraordinary it was just part of life what about you well
1: i think i was about 12 11 or 12 when i first started having um a sense of a divine presence uh close to me there were there wasn't any teaching or any message or anything like that. But there was just this feeling of divine presence. And if I would get distressed, I would feel that this presence is with me. And I even had that a little bit before because I was very, as a child, connected to nature. And I felt that when I was distressed or something, I would go to trees and I would just be with them. And I would feel this calm come from the trees and just flow over me and just make my mind peaceful and I had a something I called people world which was out there with all these you know stress and tension of little kids trying to make their way in the world and then I had the the nature and all the beautiful connectedness with nature and that was my my home and Mm. I think that was the beginning but then when I was about 11 or 12 I started feeling this divine presence. Um, I could almost see this figure next to me in white. It was really interesting. And I, I would I would go out at night and I, I was in a, a suburb of Chicago that was very safe. And, you know, I would just walk out at night and I would, I would walk through the town and by the railroad tracks, just feeling I was walking with this divine presence. And it seemed to be This being who was just, I felt so close to that was very Christ like. I thought, I thought maybe it was Jesus. I didn't know. You know, I had no other understanding of that. And I thought, I've been with this being before, this entity before, but I didn't have any idea of reincarnation or anything, but still there was that feeling. And uh, that presence was there with me for several years I felt that as at around those ages and I had a lot of uh, long moonlit night walks and spiritual connection and and the feeling like you're talking about intuition the feeling would come of what was right or what wasn't right not in words but in just this presence I, in fact, I so wanted to be living with that presence, that to be a live presence in my life, that I would, I thought, oh, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. What did I do wrong that I'm <laughs> 2,000 years too late? And I would actually cry myself to sleep about that when I was a little kid because I was very attached to this presence. I felt it was so beautiful, such a beautiful being. Um, and that that really that was my deepest attachment as a child, I would say, was that encounter with that presence,
0: and as you grew older, and uh, I, I'm guessing that you went to uh, you, you know the various educational institutions and you grew up in a city or what have you, and you were uh, as some people would say, programmed by society, did you lose that
1: connection? I did. I did. You know, my desire to be with other teenagers and a part of things, and I just began to externalize my mind from, like you were saying earlier, that inner place of perfect perfect wisdom and peace. I began to externalize my mind to want to be socially accepted and want to be a part of things, and you know, I, as that happened, that experience faded from my view, and I became uh, more of an external teenager. I went to churches for a while, trying to find this divine presence that I would went to church after church. and I didn't find it there and And then finally, I decided that I didn't even know if I believed in God, you know <laughs> mm. it I just couldn't find it and i moved on for
0: a while <laughs> did you ever feel the need uh, as as you were obviously going through this process that you needed to find someone to follow someone who would give you and now we're talking about in the physical world here who would give you the guidance and so forth and and help to <clears throat> guide you through your spiritual journey
1: you know, I never felt that. I felt that I needed that one that I found as a child, mm-hmm. that I loved. That was the only one I wanted to find. I didn't really want to find anything else.
0: It's interesting because I I am kind of the same way. I, I have I have studied so many different philosophies. My um, I, I do of course recognize and acknowledge the input of course of my catholic upbringing from uh, through my parents and <clears throat> going to mass and catechism and all of that but when i was in my late teens i was introduced to autobiography of a yogi which i consider to be my metaphysical primer and i've read i don't know how many books over the years uh, and 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 uh, uh become aware of all of these different quote unquote teachers uh and uh um heard about their particular bent on the universe and spirituality and death and dying and transformation and so forth <clears throat> when you began uh to really uh dive back into your spiritual life uh you were searching as well was there was there uh, was there more than what you've already described that you were searching for like uh I became a Baha'i for a year and a half yeah, because I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for a place where I belonged, uh, as well as looking for something to believe in, not just someone. And it was because I could not make that final step to <clears throat> recognize. And it wasn't that I was rejecting Baha'u'llah. It was just that, you know, you make that final step in a philosophy or a a belief system where you now put all of your trust in the founder in this case. And I just couldn't do that. And so I said, I I must respectfully decline. And I I apologize if I joined the Baha'i faith uh, under false pretenses. That's how I perceived
1: it under false pretenses. But I I learned so much. Go yeah. ahead. Oh, because you couldn't go with the, the, te- the, the main guru or founder of that. Yeah. And yet his teachings were, are marvelous.
0: I mean, just absolutely incredible. I think one of my favorites, and this is the reason why I'm not saying that I rejected Baha'u'llah, it, because one of his sayings was, if you reject one of the messengers of God, you reject them all. If you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. And I think that I was in that latter category, where, yeah, I accept you as one of the, one of the messengers, but you're not my guru. You're not my foundational teacher, as it were. And I just I'm curious about your perception of the the physical manifestations here on Earth, uh, comparing and contrasting to, shall we use the term divine. Uh, intervention, I think I don't think that's the right word, but the influence on the part of the divine
1: on your life you know, my guru, Shuhu my physical guru, um, I have an inner guru, Baba, and an outer guru, Baba, who is Shusshi who I spent time with in India. and he had a he had a uh, saying which i truly truly believe he said the only guru is the infinite brahma that or god essentially you know that god is the only guru that people people can be my feeling is people can be conduits for that and they can really speak truth they can write truth they can be figures through which that divine force manifests But that divine force is everywhere Mm -hmm. it is the one it is there's only the one and that that one is the true guru the true source of all that is and we find that within ourselves we find it in teachers who speak truth we find it in you know for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. We find it in the babbling brook, we find it in a leaf falling from a tree, you know. Mm. It's everywhere. But it comes in the in the philosophy and in the deep teachings and it, it comes in human form. But it comes in all forms, you know. Yeah. When, you're, when your cat sits on your lap and looks at you with total love and you melt into it, aren't you with God, you know? Isn't it everywhere? Yeah. And that's, that's my feeling that God is everywhere. It's
0: kind of like what um, <laughs> someone shared with me. Uh, it was actually during my stint in radio at a Christian station. And, um, and they said, if you're looking for the devil under every rock, you're going to find him. If you're looking for God under every rock, then you'll find God.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, Uh, I find that I find it so interesting that there are so many people, especially during the heyday of uh, of televangelism back in the 80s and early 90s, uh, that that's that's kind of where things were. It was it's not so much fire and brimstone anymore. That is almost uh, drifted. I know that it's still very strong in certain parts of the country and even the world where that's what they preach. And I understand that. And that's just where they are. But I just I can't I can't. I can't go there. It took me five years while I was working at that station to finally let go of, not reject, but let go of the concept of hell and the devil. Because basically <clears throat> that philosophy, if you will, that particular aspect makes God out to be an extortionist. I mean, <laughs> that's that's kind of how I looked at it saying, wait a minute, for God so loved the world. Well, if he so loved the world, why did he put us through this? Because he knew, and I guess I'm using the anthropomorphic uh, he here in this context. Okay. Uh, he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Uh, knows everything, and so on and so forth. Knew all of this stuff, and so from my perspective, he set Lucifer up. He, he, Lucifer was set up. <laughs> Lucifer just wanted to do his own thing. That's all he wanted to do. And why is that? Why is that a terrible thing? um because to me god is not schizophrenic old testament versus new testament god you know what i'm saying Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um and yet there are many other philosophies throughout the world that are older much older than christianity that they don't go down that road they do talk about i guess um i like in the jewish faith where it says there's no such thing as satan the devil When we talk about evil and so forth, we're talking about the lowest base nature of man.
1: You know, all behavior, everything we do, everything we think, it either goes towards the one, towards opening ourselves to connectedness, to wholeness, to that unity, or it moves away from it. It Mm -hmm. moves into, into duality, separation, I and mine opposed to you and yours, right. and mm-hmm. and it gets into this um, that's where these sort of difficult qualities come out. and and a lot of struggle goes on, and we have wars and we have feuds, and we, you know, terrible things happen in human society,, uh, because we're there we have a choice. I think as human beings, we have a choice to move towards the one or to move towards ego-based uh life style and every action we take every thought we take is a part of that choice Mm -hmm. and uh, for me you know because i've followed an eastern path for a very long time and uh, sin is sin is misunderstanding it's taking the unreal to be real you know it's 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 uh, It creates delusion in the mind which makes walks you down the wrong path, walks you down a path that's not really to your benefit or to anybody else's. Um, and so we all have the ability to try to understand as best we can and to live in love and grace and live in connectedness to that divinity in my understanding which really is based in in yogic traditions that that the the oneness the wholeness is something that abides in the in the pure light or the pure unmanifest and through all creation we abide this whole created world both the dark side and the light side is abiding within the mind of god right it's all abiding within the cosmic whole and so we're in the dance. We're in the Leela, as they call it, right? <laughs> um, and um, we have a choice of how we, how we want to be in that.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and we talk about that all the time with the choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we provide people with um, basically new information, we hope, on every program, which is another choice, another opportunity to go uh, maybe a little different way that you never even thought you were interested in, but maybe it rings true in your heart and soul and going, hmm, it sounds interesting. I I, I may want to pursue that. And what we do here <clears throat> on Tell Me Your Story uh, is we lay out a smorgasbord, a giant table, which by the way gets larger and larger with every program, and we ask people to come to the table and partake of those things that resonate with them. Do not partake of something that does not, unless of course you're up for the challenge, and uh, then go away and and you know embrace it or you know whatever the case may be, however you choose to process it. And then come back to the table and see what else might resonate now that you have incorporated something new. I love from the book Stranger in a Strange Land, the word uh, grok, you know, and I, I interpret that based upon the book uh, Stranger in a Strange Land is uh, to assimilate into every cell of your body that word, that philosophy, that concept so that you <clears throat> fully understand uh it's it's actually going beyond walking a mile in someone else's shoes it's actually sort of becoming that someone really it fully yeah when you did you have you have you had you um ever reached a point where you thought, because I know that you had those experiences of uh, maybe a um, a diminish. I'm not going to say a loss of, but a diminishment in your own mind of your own personal faith, faith, your own belief, your own philosophy. But did you ever have moments when you felt as though I've arrived, I made it, I'm here finally. And I don't have to work as
1: hard. <laughs> um, I have the feelings that that unitary wholeness of that of divine presence and of that unitary wholeness. And it's it's not. Yeah, it comes and goes. You know, I think it comes and goes for all of us. Maybe there are some people who it never goes for, but the rest of us that there are little moments or maybe bigger moments or maybe days or weeks or months, but it, it's something that deepens and it's always there. You know, it's like we have this spectrum in which we live, like there's layers to our being and we have a spectrum in which we live and we work in the world and, you know, we need our egos. We need our body, mind, uh, body mind ability to operate to you know to be connected in the world of duality of 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 doing and receiving and and but beneath all of that beneath all of that deeper in in the space that you were talking about where you go where there's perfect vision where there is uh that inner intuition there's there's a there's a plane of of connectedness and there may be layers to even this but there's a plane of connectedness that you can go deeper and deeper into until there is just ananda or divine bliss and or rapture uh, depending on your languaging and and a, a full deep connectedness and that's a place it always is so when you feel it, it always is, it isn't coming, it isn't going, you're always there. Mm. Your attention, your awareness moves between, you know, getting the job done out there, and and that state of wholeness.
0: Mm.
1: And so, is that a question? I don't know if I've answered your question or not. I don't think it's something that, um, yeah, I've experienced that a lot. Mm. But
0: Maitreyi Ma is my guest here on the program, yogama.info. That's the website we'll be linked to. You can find out more about her book, Into the Heart of the Infinite, Uncover the Mystical Depths of Spiritual Transformation. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about transformation. And there's the book that she is holding it up. Um, I want to ask you in that regard, because in the New Testament, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly where it was in the Gospels, where Jesus is, um, he's communing with his disciples. And he's performed these miracles and so forth. And they're just like, wow, this is pretty cool. He is, he is something else. All right. You know, and they basically ha- ask him, <clears throat> hey, you know, the stuff you've been doing, can you teach us how to do that stuff? And I, I paraphrase. Uh, Well, yeah, but that's nothing compared to the works that you will do. Greater works will you do than these? And my observation is that what he was referring to ties into the word I wanted to focus on. The greater work is the transformation of our lives to a higher consciousness, a, a higher living, if you will, a more connectedness to the divine talk to us about your 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 observations and your experiences in that regard of uh, to transformation
1: okay um you know we were talking earlier there was this period where as a teenager i sort of i would say i became agnostic atheist it just i couldn't find it right and then i i I went into a period of experimenting with LSD. You know, during the during the days of the late sixties, early seventies, when that was a thing, and um, it's now a thing again. I can tell you that therapies with uh, with uh, psychedelics is becoming a big big process in the world. But at that time, I took some I. Uh, took a variety of trips and I read Timothy Leary's psychedelic experience and I got into it as a spiritual path, I would say, because I didn't know anything else. And it brought me to deep states of union, Uh, just cosmic union, feeling that time would slow down and Everything would become one. you know, just looking at an object and then just feeling like just moving into the into the wholeness, like the the macrocosm and the microcosm and how everything melted together as one. And so I think my first really deep experiences of that Union uh, were on uh, LSD. Uh, that opened me up. And when it did, and when I read, then then I, you know, after that I sort of crashed and burned with that. After a while, and I was very distraught because I, I wanted to find. I was so passionate about finding that beloved, and I tried again and crashed and burned. And then I, I started reading. I took a course. I was at college. I took a course on the Bhagavad Gita. On a, Eastern philosophy, and I read the Bhagavad Gita, and I began to, they began to say the exact same things I had experienced on LSD, and I went, wow, this is real. Other people thousands of years ago had these experiences. This is like something really happening, you know? And and so then I felt alive with that again, and I slowly got into meditation and a lot of different experiences and began to have non-dual experiences in meditation and feeling that unitary wholeness of being and, and that love, which is infinite, and that divine presence that I had felt as a child. And that divine presence began to come to me in my meditation. And this time began to um, talk to me and give me guidance And I had some very, very powerful experiences and very, very deep spiritual openings, which I go into in my book. And um, then I was guided to go to India to be with my guru. And so uh, I went to India to meet, I first met my Baba internally. And I had all these deep experiences. And then he said, and I was so in love, it was just like when I was a child. This, this passionate love for the divine, which nothing else, every like compared to divine love, I experienced worldly love is like black and white compared to color. You know, it's it's so deeper. And then um, I ended up going. Baba guided me, my inner Baba, to go to India to see him in physical form. You know, and that I think had been the the pain of my childhood was that this being, this presence I felt, this God presence, was not physical. And so I went to India, and when I met my physical Guru, I felt that same energy field, energy signature that I had felt internally, as a child, as when Baba came to me in my 20s and when I started meditation. And uh, yeah, I, it, so it wasn't ever seeking an outer guru or an outer source. It was finding the inner source and then finding that same inner source embodied in another person. It was interesting. You know, but it fulfilled something that I think I wanted there to be some physical manifestation of this all-knowing consciousness. And I found that in my physical guru, who who I was around for about a year and then moved away from, you know, circumstances of life. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Made it so that I really didn't have... That contact beyond that year that was physical, you know, that was in the same area. But I had the inner, inner guru and the inner guidance. And, you know, the, the yogis say guru, God, and self are one. And that's my experience: that guru, God, and the deeper self of your being are one and the same. And so meeting the guru, meeting the guru within meeting the God within, and meeting the deeper nature of my own self is all for me the same experience. And that mm. deepened into a melting back into that, mm. melting into it so that that flows through, that, that that it's there. And then feeling that immense love just flowing, flowing. You know and feeling it all around me and everything that is and then everyone and uh feeling god presence have you ever had the this is
0: an unusual term but nonetheless a buddhic experience where you were searching for something and the harder you searched the harder it was to find until you finally threw up your hands and "Uh, uh i surrender i surrender i give up and then suddenly it just, boom, it just appeared. It just came to you. It just uh, manifested.
1: Well, Richard, I think you've hit on the very essence <laughs> of, of what it's all about, is surrender. As long as you're achieving and trying, you're, you're not letting go. You're not letting go into God. And it's that letting go, that surrender. Yeah. Mm. that's that that's the key
0: it's always a it's an extraordinary story to just what i do know of it i uh, haven't actually read it but i've heard the story uh recited by many people we even named one of our cats siddhartha yeah. uh he was anything most of the time he was anything but a buddha <laughs> He was he was a little on the wild side sometimes, but he was he was a very fun, very much so domesticated uh, cat. Uh, But uh, I think we named him correctly, uh, or I should say he gave us the name to give him correctly. Uh, I'm a firm believer that animals you don't find them. They find you. And you mentioned that earlier in terms of, um, uh, you know, you have uh, a cat. Uh, and we we have had as many as nine cats in our two room cottage that we live in, as many as three dogs, and as many as between thirty and forty chickens.
1: <laughs>
0: now, right now, we only have nine chickens, two cats, and one dog. Um, just through the natural process of life, um, I want to have you, if you would, touch upon, and again, we're talking with Maitreyi Ma, and uh, we're talking about her book, Into the Heart of the Infinite, un- um, uncovering uh, the mystical path of spiritual transformation. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the term I use is transitioning. Bernie Siegel uh, got all over me one uh, on one interview when and I made reference to his wife, transitioning and he immediately stopped he says, she didn't transition, she died. Why? What's wrong with using the word dying? So to Bernie's homage, I i acquiesce in that regard to say, okay, death and dying. But let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, from this side of the realm, if you will, uh, I have had quite a number of passings in the last couple of years, uh, from my father and my eldest sister to my best friend and, and, and others. And I've come to the, I'll say, understanding that they're no longer in physical body. I can't call them on the phone. My father lived in Phoenix, as did my sister. My best friend lived in Phoenix and so forth. I can't call them on the phone, even though I haven't removed their numbers from my phone, which is interesting. Now I can talk to them anytime I want. And i get impressions from my father not words just you know impressions or sometimes i'm speaking out loud sort of self encouragement and you know it's okay it's everything's fine it's all good and everything and you're doing fine and so on and so forth and i think that's my dad and he's coming through you know what i'm saying mhm yep what what's your perspective with the philosophy that you hold today because it is ever-changing for all of us uh as far as this process of of transitioning and the shall we say the influence of those who have transitioned or died uh on our present-day material lives
1: well i like you have lost a number of people in recent years and um, it's an interesting process. We go through life, we form attachments to people. And then there are these separations. Either we leave or they leave this pl- physical plane of existence. And for me, I've had a number of experiences of uh, in my life of seeing people after they've past seeing my cat after I had a cat once that passed away that I saw walking around the house for a week clearly wanting to just do what it always did it wasn't ready to leave (laughs) and um, I've had other experiences once I stopped at an accident where someone died in my arms who had been thrown from a car and then when I got back in my car, they came to me and they they came to me wanting to, you know, they were confused. Mm-hmm. I was the only person who happened to be available to, to listen to them, you know? Yeah. And they, they had a wife and a child who survived um, and they didn't know quite what they should be doing. And I didn't know really either. So I just, but I just say, go to the light. Some part of me deep inside knows, I said, go to the light. Go to the light. This isn't really where you need to be. Go to the light. And um, I, I've had other experiences like that. And so I do know that people, I know there's a transition time. From my own experience, I know there's a transition time where people can be transiting from here to another plane of existence, I would say. And As to how they, as to what that is, I don't know. You know, it's, Mm. there's all the death and dying experiences. There's my own experience of people. There's a feeling of people being present. My mother came in my dreams for several months after she died because I was young and I think she didn't think I was quite ready yet. It was in my early 20s. And, Finally, in the dream, I said to her, some part of me, some older part of me said, you know, it isn't right for the living and the dead to be meeting like this. You need to stop coming. And then I never saw her again. <laughs> mm. um, and I, I, I think we, I definitely think we move on, that we we don't, this isn't the end. Mm-hmm. And and to re to really finish our journey, we did need to come back in physical form. But as to what that other, what a, that other realm or realms look like and how that is, I've seen when people cross over sort of this silvery veil. And but when the veil comes close, both during births and during deaths, it's been my experience when the veil comes close that there's there's a higher frequency there's a beautiful energy a higher frequency it's really beautiful that that's a higher frequency so i don't know it's a i think it's a mystery we we never know in these physical bodies until we cross over unless we have some very special memory
0: and i know too that there will be those who are certain Uh, that there is and that there isn't anything on the other side Uh, and I say well if there isn't you're not going to know it anyway because uh, your perspective is that when you die it lights out and yet we also have a lot of people who uh, believe definitely in reincarnation Uh, I still uh, ponder this whole biblical thing where you know Paul says, "Is it a point? It is appointed every man once to die." Then, then the judgment. I said, "So was Lazarus made an exception to the rule? Because according to the New Testament and the Gospels, Jesus raised him from the dead, not from a coma, you know, not from drowning where he, you know, gave him CPR, from the dead." And so I I, I go, oh, so which is it? You know, is it once or twice or three or four times? And then we have people who, and this is this is kind of what's interesting, is that we, in the modern age, here in the 21st century, we have come up with sort of a definition of what physical death is. You know, maybe th- th- there are no more brain waves. You know, there the, there's no brain activity. And this person is now clinically, you know, brain dead. Well, Even you know what? Go ahead.
1: So, uh, when, you at, when you ask people, most anybody who's around people who die very much, they'll say, you can really see the difference when the soul leaves the body. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty common.
0: Well, there um, was a, a documentary that actually tested this, this, this aspect where they got the permission of this person who was terminally ill and they laid him on this metal table, which was a scale. And they they waited and waited and they cared for him until he passed. And what they were doing was not, they were primarily measuring the weight of the body. And as soon as the last breath was given, this person lost X number of grams. I think it was like an eighth of a pound or less than that, maybe less than that. It's like, wait a minute, what just left? And there was nothing hanging off of the table or anything
1: but you can see it you can see but, the yeah. difference between a live person and a dead person sure sure it all the same right yeah. by the way uh one of my interviews
0: that i just did not long uh, just recently uh with a gentleman his name is chuck champlin and he wrote a book uh he wrote uh, two books we're gonna have him back on again but the one book we were focused on Uh, had to do with think like a molecule. And we got onto this subject that we're talking about now. And I had never thought of this before. And I found it fascinating where he, he basically says, did you know that when we come into this world, the first breath we take is an inhale. When we leave this world, the last breath we take is the exhale. So, we leave balanced so to speak we took a breath and we had all of those breaths in in and out between and then at the end we give a breath and we're done
1: yeah it's interesting
0: interesting symmetry you know
1: that is interesting
0: i'm curious about and uh, since i'm on that subject uh i'm curious about this concept of breath work. Now you, you use a number of modalities in your own practice, in your own work. Uh, Many of them. I'm curious if if you use a concept of, of breath work, I've heard of a numbers of different types thereof, but is that some part of uh, one of the modalities that you use to help people to work with people?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially for anxiety. You know, if you, if you take uh, like three breaths in and six breaths out or two breaths in, four breaths out, you inhale through the nose, you exhale through the mouth, it really reduces anxiety. And so if someone is having a panic attack or a high anxiety state, if they can do that kind of breath work, it can really bring them out of that state because our mind is really connected very mm-hmm. strongly to our breath. Mm-hmm. So when we become Also, we we tend to breathe from the upper chest when we're anxious. So uh, getting people to breathe, asking them to breathe belly breath, the yogic breath into the lower diaphragm and then into the central chest and then the upper chest and to do the, you know, there's a reason we sigh, right? Mm -hmm. It just relieves tension. Mm-hmm. And so breath is connected in that way. And in yoga, breath is used very um, systematically, alternate nostril breath to balance the sun, moon energies in the body, the angala and pingala, it's called. Um, so you do the alternate nostril breath and it, it these two channels of energy uh, uh, can balance that way. Um, You use uh, breath retention to deepen the mind into deep states of consciousness. So there's a variety of different ways that breath can be worked with to change consciousness. And um, people who want to hone their ability to go into deeper states often use breath work as a part of their meditation practice to do that.
0: Now I know it there are a lot of people who uh, will question, to... "Oh, why does it
1: work?" Yeah.
0: Okay, and of course, uh, you know, they want science to to uh, tell them why something works and so forth. Uh, and and to that end, uh, uh, to to maybe touch upon that just slightly, it seems to me, just from a a non uh, science science uh, person's perspective, mine, <laughs> it seems to me that. When you are breathing in, whether it's doing the alternate on nostril uh, aspects of it in terms of the energy flow and so forth, or just the sigh or, you know, breathing in deeply, holding it, releasing it, there's something biological that's happening in terms of, for example, the oxygenation of the body, the brain. And, and specifically, let's touch upon this aspect of one who is um, anxious, who's got anxiety, And they start doing this breathing. All right. Is it is from a a scientific or biological standpoint, is it the oxygen that we're taking in that is helping the brain to then calm and process information and maybe start to put it back into uh, a perspective that does not create more anxiety
1: you know, I can't answer that from a scientific point of view because I haven't researched it. But I can answer it from a yogic uh, understanding of the body mind uh, subtle body theory, mm-hmm. which is that when in the breath there's um, there's these things called vayus or subtle breaths, subtle energies in the body, and subtle airs they're called. And and when you when you alter breath you alter these um energy fields that go like the upper ones go downward and then there's energy that comes up and so you want if it gets off balance you get emotional states that are off balance and so you want to balance these uh pranas in the body these energies in the body and so um the breath breath work does that. And, and when you calm, I do know this very strongly from personal experience. When the breath gets very, very still in meditation and you feel like you're not breathing at all. Have you ever had that experience where you just, you go, oh, I'm not breathing. And of course that ruins it all. And you, oh, you take a breath, right? But when your mind is really concentrated, there's a connection. When mm-hmm. your mind gets really still, your breath gets still. And when your breath gets completely still, your mind gets still. Mm. So when you're, you're not trying to hold your breath, but when you just go into a deeper state, your breath becomes very elongated and still. And it's as if you're not breathing or maybe you're not breathing and your mind becomes very quiet. Mm. It's it's So there really is something to it. As to the scientific principles, I haven't really studied it that much but i do know from the yogic perspective i
0: i know that there are many gurus uh down through history uh even those who have been uh written about in autobiography uh who have reached what has been referred to as the breathless state uh, where they don't need to take in huge amounts shall we say huge amounts of oxygen through a you know, a big inhale and then an exhale. It's just, they're they're just barely inhaling and exhaling and it's very slow and it's very subtle.
1: That's when you go into deeper states of consciousness into that unitary wholeness and you feel that, that oneness and the mind becomes deep and still because you're kind of going into the deep waters. Of the collective unconscious. You're going into the deep, deeper waters. And the breath in meditation is sort of like a like waves on an ocean, you know? And it keeps keeps moving like this. And the mind keeps like drifting in this ocean. And then the, the waves get a little smaller and smaller, and then the mind settles.
0: Maitreyi Ma is my guest here on the program. Website is entitled uh, the, the website, which we will be linked to, yogama.com, uh, .info, yogama.info. Yogama.info, Y O G A M A dot info. We certainly hope that you will go there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, this, this aspect of um, authentic, uh, the authentic descriptions of little miracles, mystical moments, and the underlying love of the infinite for all beings. Uh, as it's uh, uh, referencing the unity of all existence and the profound depths of spiritual awakening. What is your definition uh, as a spiritual being, having that wonderful human experience, uh, the difference between uh, miracles, mystical moments, and so forth in reference, especially in the context of the title of your book, uh, uh, as far as the infinite? which is kind of hard to wrap one's brain around the infinite.
1: (laughs) That's a big question. Um, The infinite is God is everywhere is, is that infinite love, which never dies. It's, it's what we are deep inside. And, and that touches this material realm sometimes. And I think, mystical experience is connecting with that connecting with that wholeness and then the miracles you know i ha- i have experienced unexplained things in my life you know um, and i reference some things in my in my book that uh, i've seen happen mm-hmm. and there you know it's i feel that 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 infinite essence sometimes alters things in the physical plane, even, you know. Mm-hmm. Things change. Things this we think the physical plane is the more solid, but it's not, you know, the more solid, the solid rock is is in spirit, is in that which is lasting and that which is eternal. Mm-hmm. And and the material plane is always changing. It's always, it's always gonna change. And my experience is that it's, you know, the deeper you go into that mystical realm, the more fluid the spiritual plane becomes, I mean, the physical plane becomes, the more malleable, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you, you were saying, you connect with your intuition, you connect with your guidance, and things seem to flow in a magical way sometimes, right? You know, where you don't know how it's happening, but it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think we all have those experiences sometimes in our lives, and uh, it's special. And it's an acknowledgement sometimes that that spirit, that that subtle level of being, is really where truth lies, where where reality is. And it this is this outer duality is is a relative reality which can be impacted by it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's my experience, anyway. Is that mm-hmm. it's uh, there is there is a love that transcends and that always is, doesn't change, doesn't move, and a love that's so powerful that it can move through into this material plane. It can change things. Mm-hmm. It can change who we are, and it can change our hearts. So.
0: Let me ask you about um, something that that you have created. And by the way, folks, this is uh, Maitreyi Ma, and uh, we're talking about, uh, of course, not only just her book, uh, which is, of course, Into the Heart of the Infinite, but I want to ask you about um, Ananda Guru Kula. What does that mean? what is it and uh, just so folks know it is a non-profit 501c3 uh so we'll want more than just that uh and uh, how does that facilitate what you do in working with uh people to help to transform their lives
1: well ananda guru kula is a 501c3 as a church as you've just said um and it's really just a, an organization to help with the work that I'm doing. Um, and it, um, guru kula, is a traditional word. And it, it's a certain style of teaching actually, that is very sort of ancient tradition in in India. And it's a style of teaching in which oftentimes students will come to the house of the teacher and they'll sit with the teacher, and the teacher will teach them, whether it's a spiritual guru, or a musical guru, or, um, you know, they may be learning sitar from their guru, right? They may be a music guru, but they will come to the, the teacher's home, or they will be nearby the teacher, and they will come every day and learn from the teacher. And that's what Guru Kula means, and it's a sort of very old style of teaching, if you will, and... Um, it's a traditional name. And so this name, Ananda Gurukula, is in indicating that it's it's a format for teaching and for, and for uh, bringing forward the wisdom teachings of the East and of, of yoga. A lot of people do yoga uh, asanas, yoga postures, but they haven't so much been exposed to the wisdom teachings of the East. And so this this 501c3 is there to bring forward these wisdom teachings and that's a a lot of what i do as well as being a psychologist in private practice
0: Hmm. i know i refer often to um as i like to call them the ancient wisdom teachings uh that have been around my gosh i mean some would say that uh Uh, Being that uh, they say Sanskrit is the oldest language, that uh, there are ancient wisdom teachings written in Sanskrit, uh, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita and so forth, or others that have not maybe been discovered yet. Uh, I even, speaking of Sanskrit, uh, I was interviewing a local uh, monk of the uh, Self-Inquiry Life Fellowship here in Montecito, California. And he was telling me that in England, in London, England, in the schools, they're teaching students how to read and write Sanskrit, because they have found that it helps to change in a positive way, in an awakened way, the 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 neural net or the the brain's synapses, the pathways, and so forth, uh, uh, in terms of their being able to process information in such a way that is. Uh, shall we say, more, I don't know, uh, beneficial or something along those lines. But it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And even oh. here here in California, for example, where you and I both are, uh, I don't know if you heard this story or not. Uh, they have re... And, I did, of course, there are those who are saying, I didn't know they ever eliminated it from the curriculum. So they passed a law to reintroduce into the educational system cursive writing. Really? Yeah. Oh. And and it's like I can understand uh the importance of cursive writing, um, you know, because there's something about that, because our personalities sort of come out when we actually handwrite. My cursive mm. writing, um I should have become a real medical doctor, because that's how my cursive <laughs> writing is. So I I primarily print in block letters. <laughs> um i'm curious about some of the various uh techniques that you might use not not specifically of course uh, learning to read and write sanskrit but other techniques to help to maybe um shall we say rewire the brain to be more malleable and open to some of these spiritual practices that you teach through uh,
1: you know in regards to uh, yoga well breath work
0: mm-hmm. is
1: one that really helps there's you know the eight limbs of ashtanga yoga and there's breathwork is really valuable and my previous book uh living love the yoga of yama niyama is about yama and niyama which are the five uh basic they're called the ethical principles of, of yoga but really if you look into them there's psychological uh, development principles for living in the world, and and there's the five dos and the five don'ts they're called, and the yamas and the niyamas, and they're they're uh, it's training yourself through you know it's very it's amazingly similar to cognitive behavioral therapy. If you train the mind, so you work with thought. Then you work with behavior. For example, ahimsa. Ahimsa is the idea of non-injury, right? It's one of the yamas, one of the uh, one of the things you you want to avoid injuring others. And but when you look into this, okay, that's an ethical principle. You don't want to go around harming people and animals and so on. You want to be kind, having loving kindness in the world. So so that's a that's a, an ethical principle but really it's a behavioral principle so if you look at it from the view of modern psychology and cognitive behavioral work when you make an effort to do no harm in the world when you make an effort to live a life that is you know we all do harm but as as harm free as you can it changes your self-image. It changes your thoughts about yourself. It changes your thoughts about others. It changes your attitude about how you're doing things. It it fundamentally begins to alter your identity. And when you put all of these 10 um, working principles together, they're an alteration of personal identity in such a way that the mind is more open and able to make that God connection, make that feel that divine love, and and make that connection to the whole. So does that make sense to you? So mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting because yoga is thousands of years old, and cognitive behavioral therapy is very recent, but. They, they're very similar. It's, it's, they call it ethical principles, but it's working with behavior, working with thought, so that you change your thought, you change your behavior. Your behavior changes your self-image, changes your self-concept, changes the way you think about yourself and the world around you. And that brings you more into a space of centeredness. Mm-hmm. For example, another, another one is... Um, satya truthfulness if you if you're going to be you know we say well i don't lie i'm an honest person i don't try to rip people off of it. that's fine but are you the kind of person who's really deeply honest with yourself about yourself about who you are what you are if you have really deep integrity really deep self-honesty and in you live a life of integrity where you're really the inner person that you are begins to come out in the outer world and you begin to live in integrity, that changes how you feel about yourself. That changes how you think about yourself. That changes how you relate to other people. And it changes it connects you more to divine love. Mm. It connects you more to being in deep truth. And these things all go together to, as you cultivate them, to transform who you are.
0: We're talking with Matreya Ma, and uh, we're talking about, uh, of course, this whole aspect, which is extremely broad. Uh, We're talking about yoga, uh, obviously, uh, but uh, other areas uh, that are connected. I wanted to ask you if this is something that we can talk about. I would love to talk to you about and have you describe, because I like uh, what I was reading here, uh, talk about the progressive utilization theory, uh, or the acronym is listed here, PROUT. Is that something that we can discuss?
1: Uh, yeah, it is. My and group- here's,
0: the, here's the reason why, folks. It's a new paradigm of development intended to guide society towards a balanced, equitable, dynamic and wholesome expression. It is a progressive and comprehensive social theory articulated within a spiritual outlook. And am I still correct in saying or adding to that, that it does not circumvent anyone's free will? It's always a choice.
1: Yes. Talk to us about Prout. Prout. Prout is a concept that my guru in physical form, Shushananda Anamoti, gave. And uh, it, it's pretty dynamic. It It's basically a socioeconomic theory. It focuses on um, a world... Uh, an inter- interwoven, in co- interconnected world, which we certainly have today, um, but being able to maybe blend that uh, that world world view with local economic control, so that there's local economy, uh, local based economy, and and giving people more control over their over their Local economic world. Mm -hmm. And and it also uh, prescribes um, that everyone's basic needs should be met by society. The food, clothing, shelter, this kind of basic physical needs should be met by society. And that nobody should have to go homeless and hungry. But that um, everybody has a baseline so that people can have the opportunity to develop their um, their spiritual life and to develop their potential for positive expression in the world. And that nobody is denied that potential because they're born into a poor family. And uh, we all know that that happens a lot in our world, that people are born into poverty and they never get an opportunity to really feel that security inside themselves on the physical plane and their lives are struggling to for that. And so they don't get to express who they are. And so it's focusing on a society that really cares for the individuals in the society and also brings local economic autonomy within a, a, a smaller regions, as well as... A global outlook to solve global problems like climate change or some of the other heavy-duty global problems that we're having
0: some of the conflicts that that we have going on yeah um and without going down uh any particular uh, shall we say rabbit hole on on these subjects one of the things that i'm fascinated by because a part of our our slogan, tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. And uh, I've often quoted uh, REM in their song. um, It's the end of the world as we know it. Well, at every moment, it's the end of the world as we know it, because the world that we knew a minute ago, a day ago, a month ago, a year ago, a hundred years ago does not exist anymore. And yet there are people who want to go back to some of those times. And it's like, you can't, it no. isn't possible because we've, it's, it's almost along the lines of uh, uh, once you know something, now you're responsible. You cannot claim, I didn't know when, you know, and then you don't do anything about what, you know, it's like with this program. I used to uh, comment at the end. I said, okay, now you've listened to this program. Now you have to deal with it. It's too late. You've already heard it. You can't unhear it. I used to say it in a bit of seriousness, and someone made a comment about that, so I try to say that tongue-in-cheek, but it is true that once you've heard something, and that's why I'm wondering from your perspective, especially with Prout, how important it is for us to monitor uh, our personal input, what we, who we associate with, what we read, what we watch, what we uh, 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 connect with, say on on uh, on the internet. I I I want to use the word social media, but it goes beyond that because it's not just social media. It's all of these different websites that people go to, uh, to to get whatever it is that they think they're going to get. Um, because all of that has an influence, has an impact on our being overall, right?
1: You know where, where I go with that with what you're talking about mm-hmm. is that so you think, so you become, right? And mm-hmm. and if you're constantly engaging your thoughts in how you're angry about this and angry about that, and you you know how awful this is and how awful that is, where is that taking you? Where where are you going with that? You know, yeah. but but if you if you If you spend the time to make your own personal connection to the love that is essential and you begin to see that love in every other person and you begin to see that that person even how twisted they are deep under all that psychological stuff that's Mm -hmm. made that way there is that beautiful love it's there in their heart somewhere even if they can't access it and and that most of us can access it to one degree or another, you know, and um, isn't it better to concentrate on that? And not that we, not to turn a blind eye to the terrible things happening in the world, mm-hmm. but to, to but to have your own truth and to stay with truth, stay with intuition, stay with um, that perfect vision that you were talking about, stay, mm-hmm. stay, stay with that, vision of the great and and then take as much as you can take of the world's problems with compassion and love bringing that out into the world rather Mm -hmm. than taking in anger and hatred and oh i hate those people and they're so awful and the world's going to hell and you know it's just a
0: a couple of yeah a couple of ironies yeah. A couple of ironies that I, I, uh, uh, have shared. And I say this one very much tongue in cheek that I could solve the world's problems. All we have to do is blow up the earth. All right. And now nobody has any more problems, not a solution. Okay. I don't, I came up with the idea and I don't like it. Okay. Um, but, it's it's again one of those other ironies for me in my own personal life i have worked most of my life in my career for news talk and information stations so i'm i'm constantly being bombarded by all of this information all of these attitudes and perspectives and so on and so forth and i've been able to find ways to circumvent that okay by basically turning the volume down which if you don't like it change the channel As a matter of fact, that's one of uh, uh, one of uh, the teachers that I came across uh, some years ago who who talked about that is if you don't like the way that your life is, you don't like uh, some of the things that you're seeing. If you don't like this, that or the other thing, change the channel, you know, do something different uh okay go within and listen to this still small voice uh seeking guidance seeking seeking solace if necessary you know what i'm saying um and yet people will i worked for uh, the christian station and we had this two-hour five-day-a-week program that um he would take phone calls now he was based in denver colorado he was nationally syndicated and he would get calls from people who loved him and he would take calls from people who absolutely abhorred him. And to those people who abhorred him, I'm sitting there going, if you don't like him, why a, are you even listening? B, why are you calling him? And it's basically because they want to get their pound of flesh. You know, they they have a vest, but that's one of the things that I found so fascinating <laughs> is that they, that people become so vested in that anger in that frustration and somehow they have to
1: feed it right yeah it's it's, go ahead yeah i i think that that has become a little bit too dominant in our our society today it is harming people
0: but there are some studies that are now showing that people are getting tired of it they're not only getting tired but they're getting tired of it and they're starting to shift away and do, do greater things in their lives, like contacting you through your website, yogama.info, maybe getting a copy of one of your books. And in this case, on this program uh, we're talking of course about into the heart of the infinite. I want to ask you, there it is again. She's uh, self-promoting and that's a wonderful thing. That's, that's what we're here to do is, is, is certainly promote not just uh, the work the books but also the work that you do. I want to ask you in regards to the infinite which again I cannot wrap my brain around.
1: But okay.
0: what but who can? But in this context what or who or where
1: is the heart of the infinite? Well, Perhaps it's everywhere, but where your contact is, is in your own heart. Mm. In the heart of your heart. In Sanskrit, it's called Hridaya. It's often found near Anahat chakra, near the heart center. You know, and that that heart of your heart, that's 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 where your contact is. That's where each of our contacts is, with in the heart of our hearts in the heart of hearts where where there's just deep love that's where your contact is with the with the divine mm. with the, of course where is that well it's everywhere isn't it it's in each of us
0: and we can spend time in that meditative state if we choose to in that quiet place and connect with that heart right
1: yeah
0: and it is so beneficial absolutely I uh, I want to thank you so much for being a part of what we are doing here, uh, Maitreya Ma, on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan. I'm your host. And uh, Maitreya Ma, I want to thank you for being a part of the work that we are doing and uh, the... Uh, the efforts that we are trying to make when I was a young kid in school, they said, what do you want to do when you grow up and don't say you want to change the world because it's too big. You want to take small little bites. I'm now 63 and I'm telling you, I want to change the world for the better for all people. How about you? Uh, What, what do you, and and maybe I can put it in this context. What do you want your legacy? If we, if we can put in that context to be, and again, we'll keep it extremely, um, non-ego-centered it's it's like i'm here my life's purpose is and what i want to leave behind is
1: i want to serve the infinite to let that infinite love and blessing be more in this planet and be available to anyone who wants to connect with it in any way that i can facilitate that or help that help somebody in that that's that's what i want to do
0: and they can do that with you through yogamad.info that's the, her website and we certainly hope that you'll also check out all of her books but especially into the heart of the infinite uncovering the mystical depths of spiritual transformation i have three final questions that I ask all of my guests uh, and uh, I will ask those of you, But first, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true, Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and we have been blessed with five days a week, Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. I hope that you'll listen to any any of the or all of the nine programs that we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. They're also posted on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And you can watch these conversations on YouTube. That's right. We have a channel on YouTube, Richard Dugan, Tell Me Your Story. And we hope that you'll subscribe to either as well as a select notification so that when a new conversation is posted, you'll be notified and you can tap into that conversation. If you'd like to support the work we're doing financially, we would be gratefully appreciated. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have supported us in the past and to those who will support us in the future. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as we've been talking pretty much throughout this program, we hope that you will spend time going into that quiet, peaceful, calm, still place. During this, the decade of perfect vision and listen to that still small voice. Maitreyya Myanmar, I um, uh, I want you to know that uh, years ago, I wondered where on the planet I could go to get away from everybody, a nice place that no one else could find. And then logic uh, told me, you'll never find it. It doesn't exist because if you can find it, so can someone else until I really got into into the aspects of that inner place, that inner world. Nobody but me can go there, and that's the place to go. and you can make it whatever you want. You can imagine it to be a forest or a beachside or out on the ocean somewhere or in the mountains or wherever it is you want. and um just just sit there quietly contemplating you know, whatever it is, put out those concerns that you have from your material world and you'll get some answers. You'll get some guidance, I know, because I have over the years. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. With all of that being said, now we move into the final three questions of our program. And I really do thank you so much, Maitreya Ma, for joining us here on the program. First of those questions is, who is Maitreyya Ma? Oh, you can hear. And I've gotten, you're only the second person who has given me that answer. So I'm going to move on to the next question.
1: (laughs) The the answer is, I am here. Maybe I'm not here. Maybe it's all part of one. What is
0: it that that gets gets you up in the morning?
1: Life, love, care.
0: And finally, what was your best day?
1: Times when there's been the deepest immersion into the love of the infinite.
0: once again i want to thank you for being a part of tell me your story and sharing your perspective Uh, and i will say probably the the most profound for me in spite of the entire program being quite profound is uh, prout and that being the progressive utilized utilization theory and um, i i find it fascinating and i want to learn more about that over the course of time so uh, thank you so much for sharing today
1: it's been wonderful to be with you, Richard.
0: And I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world, where we're giving you uh, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, video cast, love to love, Jeanette. I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. To my dear friend Smokey, I will see you on the other side. And to my friend Zorro, aho, aho.